Today's growers and ag retailers want turnkey cropping technologies that pair high-performance seed with crop protection solutions that take them from clean fields to high-yielding harvest in a predictable way. Adama has the global assets and resources to help build upon your seed technology with a proven interest in developing partnerships. We're your partner in bringing your seed innovation to market faster. And welcome to the Scoop Podcast. I'm editor of the Scoop, Margie Echelkamp. Today we are joined by Richard Gupton, head of the policy shop over at Ag Retailers Association. Richard, welcome back to the podcast. Margie, it's great to be here as always. All right. So I know we've got a great list of things that are priorities of what you guys are watching there in Washington, D.C., and things that ag retailers need to know. First and foremost, we are going to talk about maybe a dear old friend, one that we just keep talking about because it just keeps almost reinventing and re-emerging, and that's WOTUS. So what's the latest on the waters of the United States, and what do ag retailers need to know? Well, the latest is the Congress, both the House and the Senate, had this uh, joint resolution of disapproval that they can do under what's called the Congressional Review Act to disapprove a a regulation that's issued um, by one of the agencies. Then this one, this case, the EPA had had made, uh, basically gone back as close to the Obama era WOTUS proposal and um, repealed Trump's era Navigable Waters Protection Act. And and Congress in a bipartisan, bicameral way supported this this resolution to basically peel back this this latest action by the Biden administration and EPA. And basically said, hey, take a time out until the U.S. Supreme Court. Here's the second case on that connection with significant nexus between a navigable water and these other waters uh, that are under debate and what's covered jurisdictionally wise. Uh, Unfortunately, the president vetoed this uh, joint resolution, the CRA, um, and there's not enough votes to, to overturn the veto. They may still hold those votes anyway. Um, But again, there's bipartisan, bicameral support in the Senate. You had Senator Manchin, um, Senator Sinema, Senator Rosen, and Senator Cortez Mastro of uh, Nevada. Um, And in the House, you had nine Democrats as well. So this is has bipartisan support. Uh, We are disappointed the president, you know, he came back on, you know, about supporting farmers and, um, and, uh, Zippy Duvall, the Farm Bureau, has some harsher words. If you if you read their press release from Farm Bureau, and they're in the middle of litigation right now to uh, related to this issue, um, so it'll, this litigation is going to continue um, until really the Supreme Court can make clarity or Congress. There have been bills introduced to try to provide more clarity on the issue. Uh, it'll be difficult for that to get passed, but we're hopeful the Supreme Court can kind of help put this issue. Uh, to rest once and for all and provide the clarity needed for the industry. I know sometimes the time frames for Supreme Court decisions can be a little uh, 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 obscure, <laughs> but what uh, what time frame are you looking at to have a decision in the Sackett case, yeah. do you think? It, it'll be, uh, you know, any any week now, it should be. During this spring, they should issue it. So I think it'll be in the month of April uh, and, it, and it could come out anytime, actually. They heard the case back in the fall. And so it, it, it could be released here even this week. Who knows? But it'll be here within the next several weeks. I uh, probably, I would imagine, when it bef- before the end of this, this session, they'll, they'll make sure it gets issued. At least that's my, my understanding. 
Excellent. So Richard, when we were, I think last together in person, we were in DC for the ARA board meeting and had a real pleasure of having the STB, the Surface Transportation Board chairman, come and speak to us and present. That was shortly before the notable train derailment in Ohio. There have been a few other incidents across the country that have gotten some spotlight on them. So could you tell us uh, what's going on with these train derailments? Why does this matter for ag retail? What they should be focused on when it comes to our rail system? Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, the incident that happened in Ohio is a tragic incident um, because of the chemical spills and the environmental impact, impact on that local community. Um, as you've seen in the news, that train train derailments are, are, are really highlighted of what's taking place across the country. There's a number of others that have occurred as well. Um, but when I was looking at the data, surprisingly, I mean, in the Ohio incident is probably the extreme of the disaster, um, but there are more train derailments, unfortunately, than, than you think. Um, I think according to federal records, there was a, over a thousand this time last year, um, and then you know about the same in 2021. So the rail safety is important; it needs to be addressed. Uh, but the railroads are important for moving product, fertilizer product, and other inputs for the uh, industry, and it's the most efficient way and safest way still to move products. So uh, there have been uh, rail safety bills introduced in Congress. The one that's caught the most attention is called the Rail Safety Act of 2023, S-576, introduced by Senators um, Brown and Vance of Ohio. And so that, you know, that's going to be a big focus of Congress. There's likely going to be some type of rail safety bill passed. Um, and we're supportive of trying to address those issues, um, whether it deals with increasing maintenance, increasing inspections, making sure repair, repairs or of defective equipment. And that's what it looks like. There was defective equipment that happened in the Ohio incident, but it's still being investigated. Um, but we are concerned about having a knee-jerk reaction and providing too much authority to the Department of Transportation, uh, whether that's uh, shortening the lengths of the train or only having hazmat dedicated trains or things like that that will actually, we think, exacerbate the supply chain issues. Um, and push more things onto the road. You need four trucks to every rail car when you're moving products, for example, like anhydrous ammonia. And there's already dealing with shortages of drivers and other issues that we've talked about. So we support, strongly support efforts to address the things that need to be uh, dealt with, including increased funding for training for first responders, for example. Um, but so that'll be uh, something that the Congress is likely to address and uh, we will work closely with them to make sure it's a targeted safety bill. Um, and we're gonna actually work with other ag groups as well because it is an important issue and uh, we wanna make sure everything is moved in a safe way. The communities are protected as well as the workers, uh, but also we need to have an efficient uh, system in place to move these products. Yeah, Richard, when I think about the policy priorities that ARA's board has helped form for this coming year, I think about, for example, what we've talked about, WOTUS and pending regulations, when we talk about supply chain and, for example, what's going on with our rail system. And then a big one I know, too, is labor. So as we talk about kind of this third topic, 
we have some um, interesting developments around non-compete agreements. So can you give us an update, lay the, lay the landscape and tell us what we should know? Yeah, the Federal Trade Commission um, has issued a proposal to ban what's called non-compete agreements. They're something that's been in place for a long while uh, that's been used by various industries uh, between the employer and the employee. And it usually talks about, you know, it's trying to pr protect confidential information or making sure, you know, you're not like working there and then take all their clients and set up in the, the same area of town um, to, to have some competition. So they're, you know, they're, but there's guardrails on their states. If they think the geography or the time length or things like that are, have been deemed illegal, a state which has historically dealt with this issue has deemed those non-competes illegal and are unenforceable. Um, so that it's, it's really uncharted territory with the Federal Trade Commission trying to step in. We don't think they have the authority that Congress has not given them the federal authority to have a, a nationwide blanket ban. And there are some bans in states like California and a few others have looked at it, but that should be a state by state issue. Um, and it should be industry by industry issue too of how those things are dealt with. Um, and in Congress, if Congress wants to give them the authority, then they're, you know, they can do that. They have the ability, to, but they have not to date. So we've got concerns. We don't think they have the authority. We think it would be more productive if they work with the states, the states themselves, as well as industry stakeholders that are impacted and come up with, um, again, some standards or model standards that can be adjusted because you don't want a one size fits all, but say, here's where Here's some things, models you can use for geography. Um, here's the types of things that can be used for the length of time uh, in place. You know, what types of uh, um, things or benefits are the employee gonna will receive if they sign these agreements? Because um, you, you don't want a situation, and this happened, and I'm not gonna name the name, but it's a very a big tech company. They have non-compete clauses for their employees and they laid off thousands of employees that work across the country. Okay, people have to make a living. So anything that, you know, if the FTC can allow for them to still stay in place, make sure it's fair and it's legally enforceable, it's fair for the employer and the employee. Uh, that's the kind of the, the spot where we think um, should take place. Um, and FTC providing guidance to make sure that's the case makes sense. We're asking Congress for, um, for permission, but it, in, for the retail sector, um, we just think that would, could, could potentially in supplier, their supplier mem um, as well, it could cause some headaches and, and it really uh, FTC needs to have a go slow approach before uh, making this blanket band. Excellent, Richard. So I know we've covered a lot of ground. We've got a couple more topics to touch on and we will do so after this industry spotlight. For today's industry spotlight, we have Dave Feist, product strategy leader at Adama. Dave, let's talk about why seed companies might look to partner with Adama on developing unique systems that pair their seed with Adama's crop protection products. So first question, why would a seed company look to partner with Adama? Oh, very good question, Margie. And really, uh, this relates to the fact that they are experts, but they're experts in seed, 
They're experts in technology, working with traits, uh, and all the breeding aspects of it. On the other hand, Adama is an expert when it comes to crop protection, to understanding the chemistry, understanding how to register traits and seeds and, and how the herbicides interact with them. In this case, we've had several examples of where we've developed products with, with seed and herbicide over the top. So what we bring is expertise, marketing, stewardship, registration, and different pieces that are needed in order to ensure that you have a reliable product and a reliable supply of chemistry to allow for the best possible success at the grower level. And what else should seed companies expect from such a partnership with Adama? Well, what's key is that we, we come together. This is a bit like a marriage and that's the fact that you have two separate companies coming together, pooling resources, pooling support at a grower level with, with respect to sales resources, marketing resources, uh, and, and it really does vary. It depends on the seed company and depends on the situation. Bigger companies, maybe less support. Smaller companies, perhaps they need more experience from Adama. Uh, we offer that either way, and it's really check the box as we work together, ensure that we are successful as a team. And what's one more thing that you want folks to know about these partnerships? Well, we've had some very successful examples of this and have been able to bring new technology to the marketplace that was really sorely needed. One being with the Rice Tech, uh, another who produces hybrid rice seed as well as varietal seed, another with SNW seed who provides sorghum, and we have brought over the top grass control in both cases. Uh, these are areas where there were problems and we now have solutions that are really simplifying the way that growers operate. And that is Dave Feist, Product Strategy Leader at Adama. And welcome back to the Scoop Podcast. Joining us talking all things policy and regulations and what ag retailers need to know is Richard Gupton, Senior Vice President of Public Policy and Council at the Ag Retailers Association. So Richard, I know something else you wanted to touch on is what's going on with the EPA, California's Clean Air Act waiver on diesel trucks. Yeah, well, here's the thing, you know, people maybe have tuned to basketball over the last few weeks. It's called March Madness. We got our own March Madness that continues all year round in Washington, D.C. And, and the thing that EPA just provided was waivers the Clean Air Act of California to phase out diesel trucks, okay? They want to phase out most diesel trucks by 2035, I believe is the date they set, and they granted this waiver to the state of California. You know what uh, trucks, what they use right now? 100% of them, I believe, to move product? Diesel. Farm equipment operates on diesel. So I'm sorry, but, the, you know, EPA didn't get the memo and neither did California. I think that they don't have the technology by 2035 to basically go near or 70% plus electric trucks, um, the weights are too high. It would be in violation of federal weight rules. So we're having to deal with that. Um, and there would likely be litigation. They've also are preparing to release, we've heard, really strict more emission standards for just basic vehicles and stuff in this push for electric vehicles. And what, you know, one, um, the technology is not there as far as the cost either, because, you know, electric vehicle, basic one could, cost you you know up up uh, ahead of sixty thousand dollars why a, a smaller vehicle for for somebody to purchase can can be in the low 20s or even low teen you know high teens for a new vehicle 
And so we, we think this big push for electrics is, is the wrong approach. Uh, it's going to hurt bio, the biofuels industries as well. Um, so it's a big concern. And I understand, uh, you know, the whole issue about trying to focus on climate change and how can we address those things, but having artificial deadlines in place to push technologies that aren't fully there. Uh, we don't even have the infrastructure for charging systems in there uh, for these systems, and they won't have them by 2035 uh, to, to utilize. It's just a very bad idea, and, uh, but that's what goes on in Washington, D.C.'s more, more times than not. Well, as I shared before we started recording, I was just with uh, spending some time in the field with our friends at John Deere, and they did show their electric backhoe, which is pretty impressive as far as a noise reduction standpoint. And then and also the power it provides. But the, at the same time, they also confirm their strategy, right? That they're really focusing on that under 100 horsepower range for even tractors. So, cause that's what's even feasible now. I mean, they talk about just the size and weight that would be needed to replace a 300 horsepower tractor with battery power. And it's just not sustainable, so. Good points, Richard. So uh, I know we want to touch on one more thing at least, and that is something else going on with EPA, including something that's being resurrected and brought over from some other times and other areas when it comes to application exclusion zones. So give us the update. Yeah, it seems like a common theme, right? It's the Wayback Machine. It's being all brought back up again, uh, this applicator exclusion zone. Uh, which we thought we had put to bed and, and you know, and common sense prevailed, but uh, apparently it has not. And so they're re resurrecting this applicator exclusion zone proposal where you have to give note, you know, for if you're applying pesticides, and this is all done in the, in the again, in the realm of safety, which we understand, but um, there has to be some common sense. They want to uh, have regulations for applicators to provide notifications, which, you know, some of that may make sense if you can do it within a certain period of time, but this industry is all weather dependent. And when you have to go out and, and make an application because a farmer customer needs help in a rapid fashion, sometimes, you know, having stringent regulations in place for notifications, that's just going to be a compliance issue uh, for the industry, depending on what's put in place could be problems. Also, they want to have for this zone uh, areas outside the control, the land and control of the applicator of the land of the farmer. And so that's going to create additional headaches. Let's just say you have, you know, you watch the news of some of the protesters and all these activists, whatever political spectrum you're on. If you want protesters that want to block you from applying product, they can just get right on the edge of that farm and uh, you may not be able to apply anything because it's on public lands or not on your, your property, not on private property. So we think there's uh, problems with that. The, the comment deadlines that is next month. So we do plan on weighing on that again, but uh, these are the things that just keep coming up and uh, are going to be a, a headache for the industry and make it really difficult uh, for them to operate and, and actually focus on their main job and, you know, produce food for the American people, food, feed, fiber, fuel, fiber, all of that stuff is going to be made more difficult by regulations uh, that don't make a lot of sense, but cost a lot of money and create a lot of litigation. Yeah, Richard. So you just, 
just brought up that ARA does to put a call out for members to provide comments during public comment periods. I know also a big benefit of being an ARA member is having accessibility to you and the rest of the team at ARA via the DC help desk. And that's available at ARADC.org. Just look for DC help desk and you can connect with folks. And really, if they reach out to the DC help desk, what would they expect? Well, they'd uh, hear from myself or Hunter Carpenter, who you visit with, uh, or if they send an email, it'll come to eventually come to, to us, and we'll uh, help them any way we can. Um, if it's a, a regulatory issue, we'll, we'll try to help resolve that. If it's an enforcement issue that we um, can provide them some guidance, we'll try. But if they, you know, it, it's to the case where they need some outside legal counsel, we work closely with. Um, um, law firms like Fager Drinker and others, uh, but mainly Fager Drinker, um, and, and provide them the expertise on, on those types of issues. So uh, we're glad to help any way we can. And that's what the help desk is here for. Excellent. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. It's always, always great to visit with you. Excellent. So to everybody who joined us today, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast as well. And I will look forward to being back with you guys next time. Until then, I hope you have a safe and productive start to your growing season. Today's growers and ag retailers want turnkey cropping technologies that pair high-performance seed with crop protection solutions that take them from clean fields to high-yielding harvest in a predictable way. At Adama, we help great seed thrive as profitable cropping solutions. We can pair seed with proven products from our extensive portfolio or work with you to engineer a unique and powerful solution. We're your partner in bringing your seed innovation to market faster.